Everybody, welcome to Flyers AD. Here it is, Wednesday, August 31, 2022. Here, and the last day of August means that hockey is officially on the horizon. Uh, I don't have any of the dates in front of me, but uh, I know training camp is like the second week of September or something like that. So, Flyers are coming. I think the season starts later, and got six weeks till the actual puck drop. But preseason starts the twenty fourth, I believe. The rookie games are the sixteenth and seventeenth. Training camp starts, you know, sometime in that area as well. So it's coming, Anthony. Whether we're ready or not, the Flyers are. Uh, Flyers are almost back. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm kind of frightened to be honest. <laughs> I mean, people are losing it about like ticket sales posts and whatnot, and. I'm not going to lie, like, I've been kind of, like, tuned out from, like, anything aside from, like, on-ice stuff lately, but, I mean, I think you're kind of in for a season barring some miracle run where they shock everyone, Uh, but I think we're just in for a season of a lot of negativity here. Some mostly, I guess, warranted, but I guess a lot of it you could say is unwarranted, Um just because, like, I mean, I think we're at a stage, and, you know, rightfully so, I'm not going to blame anyone for being pissed off at everything under the sun, but I think we're at a stage at a stage now where, like, you know, if they go left, they'll be pissed that they didn't go right, or if they color in their, their you know, purple dragon purple, they'll be pissed they didn't do it in green, or whatever the hell. But, I mean, it's going to be... I'm just anxious to kind of start evaluating the on-ice product again because, like, to be honest, like, the off-ice stuff, like, I'm sure it means something, but as, like, you know, a reporter and doing what I do, it doesn't affect me all that much. It's, uh... I see both sides of the coin on this one. Like, theoretically, you know, they are at a point where they do not have a lot of good grace from this fan base, and when you... Put out a tweet putting, you know, discount tickets on sale and you have to, you know, mute the replies. You have to turn off the replies to the tweet. Yeah, that's not a great look, you know, um, <clears throat> but a lot of that is deserved. A lot of that is just pure frustration over years and years of bullshit that boiled over after another summer of bullshit. And, you know, I think the Twitter area has kind of been split uh, in turn, you know, some people are, are full on negativity, you know, they're going to suck, they're going to finish dead last, it's over, you know, whatever. And then the other people, oh, they're going to exceed expectations and they're going to do this and that. And, and I'm kind of in the middle. I, 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 I can see where things could go. I don't want to say right, because that feels like it's too much credit, but better for this team. You know, Tortorella shows up and can whip this defense into shape, and Carter Hart plays like the Carter Hart we know he can, and Katuria and Hayes come back and can at least play a little bit of defense. The penalty kill helps. You know, they may win a few more games than they deserve to, but, you know, I, I think the lack of top-tier talent on the team, especially in the top six forward group, is going to limit any potential they can have, and, and this is where the predictions for the end of the season come into play already. You know, are there, I don't 
think this is a team truly in the Bedard sweepstakes, barring health. But I don't think this is a playoff team either. I think there would be a lot of things that would need to go wrong with other teams where the Flyers themselves are a postseason team. So it just takes them out of the race for a generational star without the payoff of making the playoffs. So I, I definitely understand the frustration. And, and, you know, this goes back to the offseason where they didn't do anything to to inspire anybody. And we've talked about this in the past in 2021. You know, what did they do last summer that was truly inspiring? Not a whole lot, but you gave the the feel. It, there was palpable change, in which case people like us can sat, uh, sit here and go, well, you know, maybe they can be better this year, but you didn't do any of that. So I can sit here and go, well, this is going to be the exact same bullshit we saw last season, which, uh, you know, I don't think anybody wants to see anymore and that's why the fans are as angry as they are yeah which uh, i understand like i the thing for me i guess is that i've been saying for 18 months that this is what i wanted them to do so the fact that they ultimately did it and again i will always say that i think they kind of fell ass backwards into this that they just realized close to the 11th hour like okay we can't just gut our assets just to clear out cap space just to bring in a Johnny Gaudreau. Like, I think that there was no plan here. And that's why I'm a big skeptical with Chuck Fletcher steering the ship moving forward. But, Dan, how long have I been saying that, like, I want them to take a year off or, you know, take a reset or whatever? Like, I've been beating this drum for a long time here. And even following this regular season, I was saying that I think that they should have treaded water until next offseason, which they ultimately did. And that's, I guess, why I'm not too upset, because I knew that let's say you bought out Johnny, uh, you uh, you traded JVR with the first round pick and you bring in Johnny Gaudreau. How much better is this team? Like, let's be honest. Let's say you do everything. else. Quite a bit, same. but not good enough. Like what? Instead, maybe they get into the playoffs and lose in the first round. I could see that, yeah. So I guess for me, it's that I'm so sick of that being, you know, the goal here, that I was happy for them to finally be realize, even though they, they did it kind of being backed into a corner and it wasn't a long, from a long-term vision, at least I was kind of happy that at some point they realized, like, okay, we can't keep going with this, and that they made the right call to Treadwater going into next season. But did they do that on purpose, or was it an accident? It was an accident. It was an accident, which is why which is, I'm that, not... That's what annoys me. Like, I don't want to sit here and watch another 25-win season. Oh, me neither. I would much rather them have a decent regular season to get their shit pushed in in the fucking playoffs in the first round against Tampa or something than watch another goddamn season where I dread watching them for three hours every single night. Like, Gaudreau, fuck, man. I don't know. Listen, was it the smartest thing in the world to sign him to whatever contract Columbus... No, of course not. But, like... You got to do something here. What's yeah. the, what's the plan? Why? <laughs> you but there is no plan, and well, that's, that's the why. And that's why, like I, I think we did it last week or the week before, where if you go down move by move by move of Chuck Fletcher since he got here, there's very few in a vacuum bad moves. Remember we did that? Yeah, that exercise. But then if you look at it on a macro scale. And you look at everything that it's kind of led to, you realize that he is just kind of a fly by night, make deal in the moment kind of guy. And that's where the problem in lies. It's not so much that the end result, well, the end result has been terrible, but it's not so much that each individual move are ba is bad. It's the fact that 
what you're building toward has amounted to nothing. And then it was also the messaging was terrible. You told people aggressive retool. Everyone thought that they were going to make all these moves. And then ultimately they did nothing. It's just that for me, I'm saying that like, let's say like, I think it's a toss up if he's here by the time 2023 comes. So if I'm saying that, like, if he might not be here into the future, maybe for the next general manager, the next management group, whoever takes over here, they're probably going to be in better shape because those moves were made, because you didn't trade that 2023 first round pick, because you didn't lock in another close to 30 year old to a, you know, $11 million contract or nine and a half million dollar contract, whatever it is. It's just that for me, this is what I wanted. So I guess I'm a bit like happier that it happened. But at the same time, I 100% agree that like they did it kind of by accident. And therein lies the problem. That's a general rule of thumb, I think, that applies to the roster as well. Individual players here. I don't think I've got many complaints with most of them. But together, they don't have any success. You know, this this team has been complete shit for the last two years, three of the last four you know the injuries are old you have all these players locked up long term on gigantic contracts that are all closing in on 30 years old if not already 30 years old I, I, I guess adding Gaudreau you didn't you know compile that problem but you're going to re-sign Sanheim right we talked about this last week to some stupid contract that compounds the problem just as much I don't know. If Breer takes over, you know, he's eating the same plate of shit here that Chuck Fletcher's going to eat. You know, the only difference is he's a guy that doesn't have any experience and we can come in and say, hey, maybe he's going to be better than Fletcher. But at the end of the day, this is this is a mess. This is going to take years and years and years to get out from. And your only hope is that Tyson Forster and Cutter Gauthier show up and are the new goddamn Lindros and the Claire and can carry this team by themselves. There's just, there's no hope here. None. None whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that, like, the drafting has been decent. But, I mean, we've heard that before. So we'll take that with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. And you look at, let's say, Hayes and Couturier. How are those contracts going to age? Like, the only thing here is that, like, I guess if the cap eventually goes up, it won't. those contracts won't look terrible. Which is still years away. Which, I mean, it's... Mm -hmm. I I don't know. It's, It's a very, very tough situation that they're in because there are parts of this team that i am a little excited for like i think like we've spoken off air about like let's say the bottom six Uh, like assuming that guys like lazinski and allison actually make it i'm pretty excited to see what this team could bring from the bottom six perspective the defense i still think is going to be very good especially if ryan ellis could eventually get healthy and then it's just the top six that is just an absolute disaster. Like you ran through the um, the the depth chart up front. Like if you look at it just from the bottom six, like would you say that's the most exciting part for this season? Allison, Tippett, Cates are probably the only three forwards I'm excited to watch this year. Maybe Lazinski, if you. I guess he makes it as well. And Forster shows up eventually, sure. But that's it. I guess Brink as well. <laughs> He's you know, going to start the season on IR, but you know, those three, Tippett, Cates, and, and Allison are definitely of interest. The bottom six has potential to exceed, you know, what's expected of your typical fourth line. But, you know, and this is one of those things, and, and forget Johnny Gaudreau for a second. I wish they moved JVR and Travis Connecting just to open up a few roster spots for these guys. Yeah. 
you know, especially when Faraby and Brink come back, it'll be very interesting to see who sits here. I believe you were arguing with people on Twitter about this last week, about, you know, the ultimate fate of somebody like James Van Riemsdyk. And, you know, that'll be the interesting one. If Faraby comes back, say, around American Thanksgiving in late November, does JVR get sat in favor of Faraby? Or does JVR get dumped down the lineup a little further and somebody like Wade Allison gets scratched and sent to the AHL. Like that's that, you know, shit like that is going to be the next big concern for this team is how you deploy your depth veterans here. Do Lazinski and Allison even make the team to start the season or do they roll with Brown and McEwen in those roles? You know, that's the kind of shit that I think is going to be the next big hurdle we see here is how the veterans are handled on this team. And, you know, Tortor- and this is not a John Tortorella thing. I think 95% of veteran coaches are going to rely on the older players over the kids. But, you know, this is one of those times where I wish you cleared a little bit of this dead veteran weight, if not to add Goudreau, just at least to say, okay, Allison, you have a top six right wing spot for the time being. You know, enjoy it until Faraby gets back, and then we'll figure out what happens from there. Some chance to earn it. But no, he's going to start the season on the fourth line with fucking Nick Delorier. You know, I just wish there was more more chances for some of these guys to succeed. And I guess if they show up and play well in their roles, maybe they'll get more ice time. But I don't know. This is this is what how this season should have gone, I think, is instead of all these veterans taking up ice time and wasting time and space, give it to some of these kids and see what the hell they got and see, you know, start weeding out some of these prospects rather than sitting here and Forrester spending a whole another season in the AHL and then he comes up to the NHL next season and has to learn trial by fire style. And it's just, God damn it. This should have been the year where you test out some of this stuff and I don't know if we're going to see as much of the kids as, as we should be right now well do you trust tortorella to like let's say in training camp allison blows the doors off and jvr is still a sack of shit like that you would do you trust that he would give allison like a top six role and sit jvr if it comes to that uh i would hope that's what happens but i don't know if i can confidently say that is what would happen. I, I, it's just, I don't know. I, I think it's just, again, maybe I'm just salty at the whole organization right now and them doing anything properly, you know, seems like a goddamn miracle. But I don't know. I, I don't know if I trust that for sure happening or not. Yeah, I guess it really comes down to how Tortorella views it because obviously we've heard people saying like, oh, you got to play JVR to we like gotta boost, boost his trade value. Yeah, great. Awesome. We heard that like, shit since fucking the early days of Andrew McDonald. How'd that work out for you? Like, teams know JVR. Like, they know what you're going to get. Like, I'm sure that even if he's playing bottom six role, a bottom six role at the trade deadline, if you eat half his salary and someone has the cap space, they'll throw a fourth round pick at you, you know? But you can I get guess... multiple firsts for him. Somebody told me there was going to be a bidding war for JVR at the trade deadline. <laughs> this but like and, here's the thing teams could have had jvr for free nobody had to hold chuck fletcher's feet to the fire if anybody really wanted this guy they could have just had him but you know the cap and listen the cap implication i assume was the main reason people said no and if he has a typical 20 goal 40 ish point season like i'm sure 
you know, his actual cap dollars are a lot less than his his cap hit. And if once you get prorate that to the trade deadline and retain half, like I'm sure some team will be desperate enough for some kind of offensive production that they may take a risk on JVR. But like, you're not going to get much for this guy in return, and it doesn't fucking matter whether you trade him or not anyway, because you should have traded him during the off season to clear his cap to make some actual room for some talent on this team. But no. We gotta fucking retain these draft picks so we can draft some random dude who'll be in the NHL in seven years from now. But, I don't know. Fuck this JVR guy. If I, if I, just continue. Yeah, no, I, I, well, I just think that, like, when I look at this team, like, I would prioritize giving guys, like, play roster spots as opposed to, think, like, yeah. hoping out for, you know, a third or fourth round pick for James Van Reeves like, at the trade deadline. That's just my opinion on the matter. And I mean, I don't think that like him playing in the top six will like boost his trade value all that much, if you will. Like, I think at this point, teams know what he is. And I like and look like it's not even so much a slave at JVR. Like, look, a perennial like 35 goal score Max Pacioretty got given away for free. Like, this isn't just because like bad players can't get moved. Like, it's hard to move decent players. And like I had a GM tell me a Western conference GM tell me that like even like middle of the road guys just aren't getting paid or you can't move money because there's just absolutely no room with this flat cap. So, I mean, it's just like in the position the flyers are in like James Van Reems, like, like I don't think he's going to be a big needle mover at the trade deadline for any team. I think that's just the fact of the matter. And I, I just, you, you just have to hope that Tortorella is the guy, right? That is, he is going to be, the type of coach that he doesn't care who you are, what salary you have. And I mean, if he's anything like AV and I don't, and I do think Tortorella's a better coach than AV is or was like AV sat JVR year two into his five-year contract in the playoffs and in the regular season. Like he did not care. So, I mean, no, it was also we, three years ago and he played him primarily in every game since. Did he? Uh, yeah, he did. It was 1920 uh, when he sat him in the playoffs and he's been in the lineup for two years now. Yeah, well, I guess in the shortened season, he was actually pretty good, right? Like, he found chemistry. Was it Farabee and Katoria that they found chemistry in the shortened season? He's had hot and cold streaks over the last couple of years, you know. He got out of the gate hot last year, too. Last year, I remember saying, because I remember he was playing, like, right wing with Lawton and Limblom, and he was kind of, like, in a checking role. Yeah. And, like, saying that, like, oh, yeah, it's cool that he's, like, learning a new, like, role, a new position, this, that, and the other thing. So, very, very cool all for that. But, uh... Yeah, I mean, like, look, I don't think that whatever JVR does between now and the trade deadline is going to exponentially boost his trade value. So, I mean, I'm going to hold out hope that, you know, new coach, you know, uh, clean slate for everyone, that if a guy like Wade Allison or even Noah Cates proves that they should be in the top six over uh, JVR, that they will play so, like, or they will be there. Just because I, you have to kind of think that going in, right? I would hope that's the case, but, I mean, we've heard the term responsibility thrown around for years, and then nobody ever is held responsible for anything. So, uh, much like everything else this year, I want to I want to actually see what happens. I want to I see them hold on to their word here, and, and if JVR fucking sucks, which is going to happen, you know, he better be 
you know, demoted down the lineup in, in favor of a guy like, you know, Brink or Allison or, or Tippett or Cates, you know, somebody that can go up there and take a legitimate top six role rather than just have JVR in a placeholder. But again, you know, I, I got to see it before I believe it just because I don't I'm not in the position to give this team the benefit of the doubt with fucking anything right now. Where are you at with Nick Deloria? Because I, I asked a question like contractor yeah, I did side, see that tweet. Yeah. because I was actually just curious, like how people feel as feel about him as an actual player, like just strictly as a hockey player contract aside, like how you feel about the guy. Do you think that the Flyers could actually use him like contract aside? Do you think he's a guy that the Flyers can use? I think he's a perfectly fine fourth liner. You that know, will. that he's fine. You know, I, I think they've cheaped out somewhat on the depth players over the years. You know, the the Derek Grants and Thompsons and whatnot. I think Deloria is probably better. He's probably the most well-rounded fourth liner they've had in quite some time. He'll be fine for his role as a fourth liner on the team. You know, the fact that you signed him for four years at $1.7 million in the same season where you cried poverty and can't get rid of any of these players and can't resign anybody, that's the bullshit part of this whole thing. You know, there's absolutely no reason he should be on this team right now, but if he's here, I'm sure he'll be a perfectly fine little veteran leader on the fourth line, but, you know, I can't exactly say I'm excited to watch Nick Deloria play hockey this year. Yeah, because if you go around the NHL, like, you look at Ryan Reeves makes the same cap dollar you look like Matt Martin got like a similar contract with the Islanders. Like, and even like Ryan Reeves, it feels like every cup contending team eventually tries to trade for this guy. Like he goes from St. Louis to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh to Vegas, Vegas to New York. So I don't think it's a foreign concept for teams who want to bolster their fourth line and get a guy who can play a regular shift and also play that tough guy role. And I do think Delore is a better hockey player than people give him credit for, like above average defensive player, like solid PK guy, obviously not going to give you a lot in the way of offense, but it's more, again, the contract, like you should not be handing out this contract when you're, you know, scratching on nothing, you know, you're, you're destined to be between a bottom feeder and a fringe playoff team. It's like, I kind of like compared it a lot in my head recently to when they signed Ian LaPerriere. I think they signed LaPerriere to, like, a three-year $1.1 million contract in the summer of 2009. And, like, I don't know what the salary cap was back in 2009, 2010, but I assume that if you prorated, the salaries are more or less the same thing, right? And, like, was Ian LaPerriere, like, obviously we're talking about, like, 13 years ago, but was he not kind of, like, the same type of player as Delorier was all the way back then? More or less, probably, yeah. So, like... And I think that, like, because the Flyers were a cup contending team back then, no one cared, right? That you paid a guy to play on your fourth line, be kind of a tough guy, help your PK out. Nobody really batted an eye that you gave that contract. And I think that if the Flyers were a cup contending team, or at least, like, a solid bona fide playoff team, no one would say anything. Like, when I saw the Nick DeLore contract, I said in my head, like, damn, this is, like, a move that I should have, I could have seen, let's say, the Toronto Maple Leafs making. Yes, yeah, exactly. Something like that. Like, he's a guy that I think the Leafs really needed. They elected to go with, like, a Cali Yarn Croak. I think they would have been better off going with a Nick Delorier, but that's just me because I do think the guy can play a regular shift. It's just that, why are you making this move at this stage? And like you said, you had no cap dollars to go around. You're paying a fourth liner $1.75 million for your contract, trade protection, all that doesn't make sense. 
And then you you do also hear the whole like he's blocking people or blocking forwards. Like I don't necessarily think that. Like I remember talking to Mike Yo last year, uh, before the season started, and he was talking about them bringing guys like Broussard and Nate Thompson and um, just other depth players that they had brought in uh, for last season. And he was comparing it to, let's say, 2020, 2021. And he said, you know, we are asking guys like Abe Kubel and Nolan Patrick and, you know, Phil Myers and Oscar Limblov to play like these depth roles and these like like these defensive specific roles. And when you're a young player, like you're still trying to find who you are. And you can't tell me that Nick Abe Kubel back then or Nolan Patrick or Oscar Limblom were like fiending to get into the NHL and be like fourth line players to play like tough to play against roles and PK roles. And then he said that like it really proves something or it really counts for something rather when you could have a guy who is a veteran and he knows his role and there's no if, ands or buts as to why he was brought in on this team. So for all those reasons, like, am I mad that, you know, Isaac Ratcliffe isn't going to be the surefire, you know, left wing to start the year on the fourth line? Probably not because you could speak to it better than me, but Isaac Ratcliffe is still probably trying to find his way as a player in the NHL if he gets there at all on a permanent basis. So, I mean, I don't really think that Nick DeLoria is blocking anyone, per se. I No, you don't have a lot of natural left-wingers on this team anyway. Um, I think Ratcliffe is probably the only person he's, quote-unquote, blocking. And Ratcliffe is a guy who probably never should have been demoted last season. They probably should just let him go and do his thing and see what you actually have. Uh, he was awesome in the AHL once he got back from that role. Like, he was a very underwhelming guy for the first three years of his career. And after he got back from the NHL stint, where he had a fairly decent run, all things considered, you know, he was a much better player. He definitely had that fire lit under him. So I don't know if he's ever going to challenge for a spot full time. I don't know if his game is complete enough to do so. But, you know, in terms of blocking people, I don't think that. That's doing so. A fourth line left wing spot is is you know that spot was open for the taking as far as I'm concerned. Um, you have the fourth line center and the fourth line right wing, which are a little bit more open for the taking with Brown and McEwen in those roles theoretically on paper. Whether Allison and Lazinski uh, usurp them before the season will be the bigger battle. But the left side, I don't think he was really stealing that spot from anybody. And listen, if Ratcliffe shows up and takes it, I think you could good for him. Yeah, you can scratch Delorier for a couple of games and let them platoon in that role instead. And, you know, if that's what happens, then so be it. But at the end of the day, I don't think Delorier is stealing a roster spot from any of the kids. If anybody's stealing a roster spot from the kids, it's fucking James Van Riemsdyk and Travis Konechny. Yeah, no, that's because the thing is, is that like, how many kids do you draft? Like we were talking about this with like Lazinski. Like, is he, was he drafted to come up here and be the four C type of thing? Like, the, these are, like, kind of roles that, like, fourth line, just for me personally, I've always liked when you go out and you add guys just to come in and play those specific roles. Like, when they had, let's say, Carcillo, Betts, and LaPerriere. Yeah. Because there were no ifs, ands, or buts. They knew that, well, Carcillo actually moved up the lineup uh, quite a few times. But for the most part, there were no ifs, ands, or buts what their roles were. And I think with kids, whether that be Lazinski or Allison or, you know, Patrick in the past, Albe Kubel, is that, like, until you get to a certain point in your career and your development, like, you're always kind of hoping that you're going to be higher. 
Like, I don't think there's any kid that, like, is just like, oh, my God, I just want to be a, a fourth-line checker. Seven minutes, minutes a night. night. Yeah. Destined to make $1 million by the rest of my career. Like, so, like, I, I do think it counts for something. I remember when Mikey O kind of broke it down for me like that. I was just like, you know, it is true. It's 100% accurate. And it's, like, the same concept of, like, you know, I, I don't think many people complained about it. But, like, the same as when you heard, like, people mad that they brought back Justin Braun. To play like the number six role it's just like well like you think ronnie adderd wants to play the entire season you know playing you know like 10 to 12 minutes a night only in defensive zone starts all that stuff so like that's be a why, horrible like, idea <laughs> exactly so like that's why like when i look at like fourth line players they get brought in it's the same thing with nate thompson last year like yeah nate thompson wasn't great I do think a lot of that was because they envisioned him playing like left wing with Lawton on the fourth line and they just never got healthy. So when he did play, he was always centering the fourth line with like McEwen at Ratcliffe or something. But like, it's like you brought Nate Thompson on a league minimum contract and like, who was he blocking? Like what fourth line? Like, that's why I've never understood why people get mad about like, fourth line players that get brought in like the delory thing's a bit of a, an anomaly because he did get like a relatively significant contract but in in the context of like blocking kids i've never really understood that because kids theoretically should be challenging for like top nine and or like top four roles no you would think so yeah at least top nine you rarely want to plop, you know, and, and this is, we talked about this with Allison in the past, you know, they don't envision him as a fourth liner, and neither do I, but, you know, the right wing slot in the top nine are so crowded that you really don't have a spot for him, so he may just have to start the season on the fourth line and kind of work up from there, and, you know, uh, the the guys that they're blocking, you know, the Hayden Hodgsons and Max Willmans of the world, they're just a dime a dozen dudes, you know, they're, they're not any better or worse at hockey than Delorier, you know, they're substantially cheaper, I suppose, but... You know, I, I guess if you can have somebody like Deloria, and listen, I'm sure once the season starts, I'll be perfectly fine with Deloria. I typically don't hate the depth players as much as most people do, because um, you can respect them for what they do, provided they're not making egregious mistakes every night. And I don't think Deloria is going to be one of those guys. So I'm sure the end game will be fine there. I don't think he's actually blocking anybody. Again, that all goes back to the pitiful top six you're icing when you could roll your younger guys instead of, you know, Deloria, and, and again, I don't know if Ratcliffe shows up and looks like a superstar during preseason and he scores 80 goals in six preseason games, Deloria stops him from making the lineup. Okay, maybe I'll complain then, but uh, I don't think that's gonna happen. Well, like, 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 let's look at the top six. We know it's egregious, it's bad, but let's say you actually had a legitimate top six. Let's say even with Hayes and Katori, but instead of let's say JVR and Konechny, you know, assuming that like Farabee's healthy. And assuming, let's say, Lawton's somewhere in your bottom six, you add Farabee and Goudreau into the top six with, let's say, I don't know, like forward X to replace Travis Konechny, like legit top line forward X and Cam Atkinson. Like, I guess the point of what I'm saying is like, if they had like a legitimate top six with everything else being equal, their goaltending being the same, their defense being the same, their bottom six being the same. Is this a good hockey team? Like, does it boil down to their top to their top six just being so damn bad? Yes, absolutely. If your top so, line was Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Couturier, and Alex DeBrincat, and your second line of, of Farabee, Hayes, Atkinson, third line of Cates, Frost, Tippett, and fourth line of Delorier, Lazinski, Allison, I that that's that with the defense and Carter Hart, like that's a good team. 
That is a good hockey team. And, you know, if Torts does come in and can establish something and Carter Hart looks slightly above average, you know, the heart that we more or less come to know and the defense can put their shit together. Like, one of the things we talked about with Barry Trotz was this team being boring. You know, they're going to win games, but they would be boring because of the defensive system. Nobody's going to score goals on this roster. None. You're going to be winning games 2-1 to one if that's the case. You know, especially with Farabee on the shelf. But... I don't know. Like, a couple forwards would have gone a long way. Hell, fuck, even if you signed uh, Nino Niederreiter and Dylan Strom, I'd feel so much happier about this forward group than I do now. It's just, especially with the top line of JVR, Couturier, Konechny. Holy fuck, is there a slower, more uncoordinated line in the NHL right now? That's not a top line. It's not going to win you games, you know? I, I just, this fucking top six is brutal, brutal, brutal shit. And even somebody like Gaudreau would have got a long way to, to addressing that. And I think that's why I am angry at all this, you know, the, the, the failed moves during the offseason is one or two pieces could have carried this team a lot further if the defense ends, uh, ends up being as good as we think it's going to be. It's weird, but, like, I actually, like, like, I actually think that he's going to make a couple of, like, surprising line combinations here like i for some reason like i feel like noah cates is going to become a prominent player on this team this season i don't know why like doesn't it just feel like he's like a guy that torts is going to fall in love with i do think cates um could be your top line left wing if they get over this jvr boner that they have if they just ice people in the position that they earn the ice time I, I think it's very possible Cates could be playing top line left wing very early in the season with Farabee's absence. Yeah. Like I like if I'm being honest here, like I could see it being Cates with Katori and Konechny, Lawton with Hayes and Atkinson. And honestly, I think maybe they go to Lawton, Hayes and Konechny because didn't they find relative success in the past? Those three. Um, probably. I think Atkinson and Konechny are probably relatively interchangeable in that role. Yeah, so what? however you decide to go with it. And I could see them doing something like JVR starting with Frost and Tippett. Just, like, just because, like, maybe you could say, like, okay, he's played good defense in the past. Like, maybe, like, uh, and because that way, if he, when Farabee comes back, and let's say Van Riem's, like, still not playing well then it's just like an easy swap out where it's not like you're going, you're swapping a guy from let's say in your top line to the, to the box type of thing. Right. Yeah. Like, like I, I feel like the forwards here, the left wings rather are all fairly interchangeable, but I mean, you know, we talked about it. I touched on it with, um, on stick to hockey with Jason Mertides too, because you had actually brought it up that like for you, the success here of the season will be predicated on if kids do well. So let's say you finish 10 in the Eastern conference, which is kind of like the, the, uh, how would you say like the worst spot that you could finish in, but Kate's like scores 15 goals and like proves to be like a solid, legit top nine forward. And like frost is actually carves out an HL role and tip. It plays well. And all these guys, like, would you come away from this season feeling it was a success yeah. If you can give these kids ice time and they show up and look good in the process and Kate's looks like a, you know, a top nine guy that can do anything and Allison steps up and, and earns the ice time and, and stays healthy and, 
you know, tip shows up and can be a goal scorer. Like, and if some of these guys, you know, start panning out, it's not a completely lost season. But then that circles back to everything we just talked about with JVR and do they get the ice time to begin with? You know, do they favor the vets over the kids? And I think that's where Tortorella is going to be an interesting guy. Is he's you know a very uh, wild card kind of coach in the sense that I can just as easily see him giving ice time to the people that earn it, whether that be Noah Cates, who's 22 years old, or JVR, who's 35, or if he just sits back and falls to, you know, is going to be your top-line guy, Cates is strapped to the fourth line, and we're not going to give anybody any chances at all because we don't like flamboyant offense around here. You know, so I don't know. Again, I think that's going to be one of the bigger questions uh, throughout the you know training camp preseason and early in the season is, is what kind of uh, – deployment are these guys going to get and who is uh, John Tortorella going to favor from a roster spot and you know the hardworking approach seems like the way he's going to go but I don't know maybe I'm just scarred from the past you know 10 years of Flyers hockey where n- nobody ever fucking got made any progress and all your prospects got stalled up maybe that's uh that's just where my mind is at but we shall see I suppose and what about the defense like all like even with Ellis more likely than not going to miss significant time to at least start the year are you comfortable with it? I see the positives and I see the negatives. I, it all depends on how the chemistry works. You know, the odd couple pairing last year of Sanheim Ristolainen. and I think everybody wrote that pair off at the beginning of last season from one way or another, and then they ended up being the best fucking defense pair the team had last year. You know, there are, we know Provorov can be good. We know D'Angelo had success with Jacob Slavin last year, who can theoretically be compared to Provorov in terms of their deployment. You know, if that pair works and the odd couple pairing of Risto Sanheim continues to have some level of success, you know, York should be just fine with Justin Braun on the third pair. Like, this could be very good. But if Provorov and D'Angelo don't find the chemistry and Provorov can't get back to the level that he once was and Sanheim and Risto Line look like two bumbling idiots again, like, yeah, I could just as easily see all of this falling apart real quick. So so I do see the positives. I think somebody like Torts is, is where you're going to get a lot of help in this case um, for things working out properly. But, you know, we shall see how they ultimately look come opening night because, uh, you know, again, I see I see both sides of the coin on this one. What about the long-term outlook from the defense? Like when you look at like some of the guys they have in Lehigh Valley and in juniors. Well, you got York here this year. He's going to get his feet wet this season. Uh, we talked at length last week about Pro Roman Sanheim. Uh, more than likely, one of them is gone and is replaced with Zamula. Uh, York gets bumped up into the top four. Zamula probably plays third pair. Adderd, Adderd's going to be an interesting one. I, I real love hate relationship with Ronnie Adder last season. I think the offense is there. He looks like a you know his goddamn slap shot at the point was awesome. You know, it's a matter of whether he can own up to the defensive game, and I assume he's going to play a lot of time in the AHL in that role this year. And, you know, if he can hone his skills and look good, you know, you may have a new secret weapon there. And you may not need Tony D'Angelo long term past the two years that he signed. So, you know, he can make some noise. You know, York York will be interesting as well, I guess, in the NHL to kind of see where he fits, see what kind of role he takes, whether he leans more of an offensive defenseman or whether he leans more of a, a defensive defensive style. Um, ultimately pan out there. Arista Linen signed till the goddamn end of time. And, uh, you know, I think prospect-wise is where your defense could look good. I mean, we shall see if guys like Hogberg can, 
kind of straighten himself out at the pro level, whether Wiley's got a ceiling or not, you know. So you do have a lot of depth players on defense this year. Um, and, and as the HL season goes on, we shall see what they look like. But I think Zamula is obviously the one that's not on the roster right now that probably has the highest ceiling down the road. And then you also have a guy like Emil Andre. Who, yeah, he's, like, he's, he's around. I don't know if we see him. In, I don't know. He's going back to Sweden this year. I don't know when he... Uh... Yeah, yeah I, I, I spoke to someone with the Flyers who was at the World Juniors, and he told me that they were he was going to go back to Sweden, be signed probably somewhere along the way, and come over next year. Um, because Sweden's just so good at developing defensemen. So, like, mine as well, right? And, uh, I mean, I look at this team the way that they've... And look, like... I know I've beat this horse a lot of times, but like, I just, I really like the way that Brent Flair has kind of organized this because I'm pretty sure he oversees everything when it comes to the draft. And like, we don't really hear a lot about him, Brent Flair. Like, it's always like Chuck Fletcher or the Flyers Illuminati or Danny Briere. <laughs> and it feels like Brent Flair is a guy that just kind of quietly goes about his business. And I really like the work he's done here. And I know it's easy to, you know, kind of poo-poo that because of what we saw in the Hextall years and how much, you know, bad drafting ultimately wound up when it was all said and done. But, like, I like what they've done building up this, like, prospect pool. Like, even a guy like Dan YA, like, they are missing that high-end talent for sure. You hope that maybe Forrester Kai becomes that. Goatsy is obviously hoping to be their ace in the hole. But... I mean, their defense, like, even a guy like Adam Ginning, like, a guy that obviously, like, as soon as he was drafted, see, like, people were shitting all over him. But, like, I spoke to someone, and they kind of compared him to a Robert Hag, except a bigger guy. And, like, you know, we forget that Robert Hag, when he was drafted, was kind of like a two-way power play defenseman. Yep. And he had to kind of reinvent himself when he came over here with Lehigh. Like, I think Ginning's a guy that, from the onset, he's always kind of been, like, that bigger shutdown guy. If he could learn to play the right side, it would probably go a long way. But I mean, like, I like their long-term outlook on the blue line here. Like, I find they have a lot of depth, obviously way more so on the left side. You know, Adderd seems to be like their only true right shot D in their system. But, you know, who knows, right? I mean, it, it's tough to find positives, right? Because of like how bad it's going to be and like how shitty it's kind of like panned out this summer or the last 24 months pretty much since the bubble but like i feel like if they could if they could just one of these guys up front specifically and like it it feels like it's got to be gotier or forrester right if like two of these guys could pan out within the next two years from now and actually be like good high-end talent players like i feel like they're set up well long term it's just that like it's you've been waiting so long for that to happen that it's easy for the hope to dwindle, right? Like, oh yeah, that's you know I, I think Flair's done a much better job overall than Hextall and Chris Pryor did for sure. Um, I, I like what I see a lot more in the AHL from a lot of these guys. And... Really, like you like do you notice it since Flair? Oh is... yeah, for sure. With a lot of these guys, way? It, it, it's much, it's just, they're better players. You know, they're, they're more well-rounded players. And I think that was one of the biggest failures, I guess, from the Hextall era was guys like Sanheim and Myers were, so, I, I will attest to this day, Phil Myers is the best player I ever saw play live in Lehigh Valley. The guy was fucking awesome. But so much of what he did 
was never going to translate to the NHL. The offensive risks he was taking and the style he played just wasn't going to translate. And it ultimately ended up not, because when he got to the NHL, he couldn't play defense to save his life. And it's just, it feels like, I know a lot of people don't like LaPerriere and don't like the coaching staff and don't like the development system, but like, you know, the players that failed under Hextall were always doomed to fail. You know, you drafted you know, the Kashas and Bunnemans and Terinskis and Vorobias, all these dudes whose ceiling was, you know, fourth-line NHL or top-line AHL guy, just random fucking dudes. You know, I, I think that the people that we've seen, even somebody like Zade Wisdom, who played during yep. the pandemic year, like, he, I don't know what his NHL ceiling is, but that's a hard-working dude who was noticeable every single shift and doing everything right. Like, that's the kind of thing I look forward to. And in Forrester, you know, I'm sure he's got a little bit of development. I would assume he starts the season in the AHL, at least for a little while. But, you know, the the, the tools are there. You know, I'm not going to sit here and compare him to Claude Giroux Jr. before we ever see him play a fucking game. But he's got the tools to be an Alex Ovechkin-like player. You know, the slap shot, the size, the the, the smarts, the goal scoring. Like, it's that kind of stuff that, that is palpable within the prospects. And it, it's been hard to tell because the Phantoms have been so goddamn bad over the last few years. Mainly, I mean, last season, you know, between the injuries themselves and the call-ups, I mean, they never stood a chance. They were rolling an ECHL lineup most nights. But, you know, in these sporadic appearances I've seen out of these guys, and it'll be even more so this year with, you know, Wisdom and Desnoyers and Forster all making the jump full-time. And is Tuamala coming out? No, he's still over in Europe. I'd assume he's still over in Europe. Uh, I, I don't know for sure on that one, but I assume he's still over there. But, you know, a lot of these guys making the jump this year. It'll be very interesting to see. You know, Desnoyers can play center. You know, he was a big scorer in the queue. Yeah, I had asked about him, and uh, I and I was told that he prefers playing center. So like, that's a you big have win. a center who had produced offense in juniors. If he can come to the AHL this season, play center and produce a little of offense, boom! You know <laughs> that's just exactly what this team needs. Something has to go right for this team sooner or later, right? One of these prospects has to show up and be something, and you know we will we will see more. Uh, when the season starts, and I'll report on that, you know, throughout the year, I, I re up my season tickets for the Phantoms, so we shall see. But you know, I do think the ceiling of these prospects is higher, and it obviously comes to whether they pan out or not, right? And that's the question with every prospect. But the ceiling, the 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 talent they drafted, that Flair has drafted, is substantially higher than the talent that Hextall drafted. And and it seems like, and I know you can't draft for position or need or whatever, but it feels like the Flyers have been able to, under Flair, do that as well. Where, like, even just something as shrewd as in the 20, when was it, the 2019 draft, where they were going to pick 11th, I think, and they traded back to 14, and they still got Cam York. And obviously that draft, like, you know, there was Cole, Cole Caulfield and all that, but, like, the fact that now you have Cam York, like, I like that draft. Like, their first draft, you know, their first three picks were York, Brink, and Ronnie Adderd. Yeah. Like, those. that's a pretty good draft. And then, like, the next year, you they only had five picks. And they're, you know, Connor McLennan, they didn't re-up, which was kind of odd, but whatever. It's not the end of the world. But their four picks that they still have in that draft are Forster, Andre, Wisdom, and Denway. Like that's a home run if they all uh, turn out to be something. Then you have twenty twenty one was more of a crapshoot, but you have Tuomala, you have the goalie Kolosov that a lot of well he's Russian, so who the hell knows what's going to happen there? Brian Zanetti, who I know they're high on, 
than other guys like McLaughlin, Samson, whatever. Ethan Samson is looking pretty good in juniors. Ethan Samson's looking good. Right-handed defenseman. Hello. (laughs) And then this year... And then this year, all they did was draft monsters. Like, they're all huge guys, right? You know, you draft Gautier, you draft Kaplan, you draft Bump. Like, and, like, obviously, Cutter Gautier, like, who knows what's going to come of him. Like, I saw him up close. He's a big dude. He's a really big guy. Like, my God. But, like, obviously, we're going to see if he could, you know, solidify himself as a center going forward. You have that guy, Kaplan, who's six foot two, big dude. Alex Bump, he's six foot. Like, so I'm looking at the way they've drafted under Flair, and I'm saying, like, it seems like they've simultaneously drafted the best player, but also, like, they've been drafting for need. But you just eventually have to hope that one or two or maybe three could result in high-end talent players because it's nice to have these depth guys, but, like, it's all going to be for naught unless they turn into something. I guess you're hoping for Goatsy and Forster, right? Yes, you you ideally want Goatee and Forrester to be the new Lindros and the Claire. Yeah, and then your left wing. I mean, I guess Farabee could be that guy, or more than likely Farabee, I would assume, or Brink, or whoever the hell wants to slot up in that role when the time comes. So, like, I mean, the draft, and again, like, it's very easy to get caught up in this, and you don't want it to matter because... whether they develop or not. And I guess that's maybe where my eternal pessimist comes from here. You know, with through the last 10 years of the Hextall era, where you look at this roster and go, you know, who the hell made it? You know, you got Konechny and Provorov, Hart and Farabee. whoop de doo You know, a bunch of guys that are dime a dozen NHLers that you can find multiples of in any given free agent pool. You know, so it... it, 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 it... <sighs> I don't know. I like I, I liked him better. I would assume Forrester's going to have a much better go of it in the NHL than a lot of the, his predecessors did um, when it comes to making the jump. But it comes down to whether or not they can truly hang in that role. And I hope they do. I hope in a few years we're talking about the top line of Forrester and Gautier and it's the new Legion of Doom and everything's great and wonderful. But again, until I actually see it, I'm uh, not a fan of giving them the benefit of the doubt otherwise. And rightfully so, right? But I guess it's just it's so hard right because like evaluating junior talent is probably the hardest thing you could do right and like isn't that what mark seidel said about their prospect pool is that they have a lot of good players but you don't have that you know that crown jewel yep so you that's what you're waiting for and now look they picked fifth overall which was their highest selection in the flair fletcher era their highest selections it's nolan patrick second overall in 2017 it's just a lot of these guys you hope they hit and that's the big thing here like for you when you've watched and obviously did you get to see Forster up close or no I saw him a couple times last year and then in the he was on TV during the um pandemic season as well to you is he a guy that screams like he could be a top line player yes like what? I said I think he's got all the tools I just think he's got the size the smarts I, I, I really, really like Tyson Forrester. It is not like me to hype up these prospects, but Forrester is one of those guys that I really do like. And I'll be curious to see where he starts the season. I think he's going to take more of the Joel Farabee role um, when he was a rookie in 1920, where he started the season in the AHL but got called up pretty quick, you know, um, if his production is there. 
uh, I think he's their bullet, especially if shit's off the rails in the NHL this year. I think he's your bullet in the chamber. You can call him up and go, look at this, everybody. We got Tyson Forrester here to save the fucking day. You know, that's my guess is probably what happens, but I really like this kid. And, you know, big body, good on the power play, could easily replace the trigger position that Drew left behind. I like him. Um, again, we shall see more uh, when he plays in the NHL. But you know, of this current group that's here right now, he's your your guy that has the most likely success uh, in the NHL moving forward. It feels like Tippett's going to kind of be playing that forcer role in the short term. Eh? Tippett will be interesting. He's I'm, a, he, he's I'm a... curious to see what happens with him. See if he can. You know, apparently he's been working on adding some elusiveness to his shot. Uh, during the offseason. And I mean, he was fucking a lot of fun during the last few games of the season. He was a stick of dynamite, eh? Like yeah. the way he was moving. Like, I I liked him. I, I liked Owen Tippett. Obviously, there's a lot left to be desired, but I remember him coming out of Mississauga in the OHL, you know, 44 goals, 75 points in 60, uh, 60 games, went 10th overall. Like, I mean, there's definitely, you know, that potential there, as we all like to hear all the time. But I wonder if he just got buried in Florida. Like, you know, I you know, he played 45 games for them in the uh, in the in the shortened season 2020, 2021. And he had 18 points in 45 games. Like, I wonder, like, I'm like, I'm not going to get too hyped up over him. But like, you know, he was a guy that was in the thick of everything. Right. Like he was always around the net. He was creating chances and. It was nice to see him at least kind of give Frost a kick in the ass, right? Yeah. What do you think about Frost going into the season? I uh, <laughs> I don't know. It'll be interesting. You know, if he does line up with Cates and Tippett, at least in the short term, you know, the two guys that have the biggest high-risk, high-reward potential on the current roster, probably in Tippett and Cates, could probably bring something out of him. You know, I've never really been impressed with Frost at the professional level, and I've probably watched him more than most people between the Phantoms and the Flyers, and and it's just he's never really impressed me as a player. And, you know, he feels like a guy who could very easily fall into the doghouse of John Tortorella if his play is not up to snuff, right? So, you know... (laughs) You can hope for the best, you know, if he can find the guy to pass the puck to, if Tippett does develop a shot and can shoot, having somebody like Frost who can be a very good playmaker, you know, he knows what he's doing in that sense, you know, maybe you squeeze a little bit of production out of him and... But, you know, my expectations for the guy are, are relatively low this year. I just think it's been too long of too little for me to, to truly get excited. Yeah, I'm not excited. And it feels weird that, like, you know, I was a guy who, much like you, like, I was always just like, okay, like, I'm not going to get excited about this guy at all. But, like, I'm curious now because I do think that the best work Mike Yo did last year was with Morgan Frost how he was just refusing to just let him be like an everyday winger. Like remember even when AV would bring him up and he would put him on the right wing with like Giroux and Konechny or Giroux and Atkinson. And we would say like, if you plop him as an everyday middle six winger, he could hang right. Yeah. Like when AV was up, but I liked that Mike Yo kind of established that like, listen, kid, we don't need that. We need a centerman who could be trusted at all ends of the ice. 
And, you know, he went down, he came back up, he went down, he came back up, and eventually it clicked for him, albeit in a short sample size, but he actually looked like a good player with Tippett and Cates. So I'm looking forward to that. It's just that, you know, like, I've said a lot that this season should be dubbed as shit or get off the pot because it seems like it's that way for so many guys here. But he is just, like, the poster boy of that, where, like, now especially that you drafted a cutter Gautier, Lazinski now theoretically, you know, providing health will be up here for the entire season. You have a guy like Dan Y.A. who theoretically, again, is going to be a center long term for this team. It feels like the endless leash is starting to really get tightened on Frost. And maybe that's what he needs. And like, I think that him and Tortorella is going to be very interesting to track for, you know, all the reasons you just outlined. But like, He's a guy that, like, I'm cautiously optimistic about. I wouldn't be surprised if he falls flat on his face, but I, I'm i hoping that he gets some urgency in his game and he realizes that, like, you know, this isn't the same team that, you know, just has always needed that third-line center. They still need that in the short term, but it feels like for the first time in a while they have a few guys that could theoretically plug that hole within the next 12 months. I think if Frost doesn't show up, Lazinski could very easily take 3C from him. Yeah. Um, you know, Frost was fine towards the end of last season, but he just seemed like a guy that could only focus on one thing or another, right? He was either yeah. going to go heavy on the offense and beat complete shit in his own zone, or he was going to try that two-way game, which we saw multiple times last year, but then he was so focused on trying to not screw anything up that the offensive game just wasn't there. Um so we shall see what kind of version we get of him this year. If he can find a way just to intermingle that, you know, you got something. But uh, again, it's been something that just has not clicked for him at the professional level thus far. And I don't know. We shall see. Again, if Tippett and Cates are there and can carry him, at least to a, a reasonable play, you may get a little extra of a usage out of the guy. But, you know, my expectations are, uh, are you know, obviously pretty low. And rightfully so, right? It's just th- there's a few guys that, like, I'm I'm – it's weird, right? Pretty much like, the entire bottom six, actually. Are interesting to you? Yeah. Yes, I, I mean... They're, they're the guys... That, I mean, we just went over the top six, how shitty they are. But, I mean, the, the third line is probably where Tippett's going to be. Maybe where Cates is going to be, depending on where JVR slots in. Allison's probably going to be down there. Lazinski's going to be down there. You know, you got guys that are higher ceiling guys than just random fourth liners on a team, right? And, and if Tippett can show up and score some goals, he could easily overthrow Konechny and or Atkinson, maybe both of them, you know, for a top six right wing slot. So it's always possible. You know, I'm definitely interested, and it's just a matter of whether or not this stuff clicks for him. Assuming they're more or less healthy, what are you expecting from Katori and Hayes? I uh, I don't know what the hell I'm expecting from Couturier. I think he's he's going to be an interesting one because he doesn't have Giroux anymore, and yeah. that's going to be going to be interesting when it comes to his offensive production. Um, I'm he's sure he's what like standalone, let's say 50, 60, 65 56, points, eh, fifty to sixty maybe. It, it, and again, if he's fucking lining up with JVR and Travis Connecting, I don't think his offensive game is going to shine all that much. But uh, it's a matter of whether he's healthy or not. It's a matter of whether he can move. And, you know, there was a uh, somebody tweeted out a little while ago, like, are we too hard on Sean Couturier? And my answer is yes, I probably am too hard on Sean Couturier. But I think a lot of my worries about the guy are stuff that's going to come true sooner or later. He's getting older. 
He was never particularly fast or, you know, elusive to begin with. You know, the injuries are catching up. He's coming off a of back surgery. He doesn't have Jure anymore. Like, there are a lot of things that are palpably working against this guy, if not right now, at least in the very near future. And it's a matter of whether or not he can squeeze a couple more elite years out of himself and uh, again it would have been so much easier to believe that if he was lined up with Gaudreau and Debrincat instead of fucking JVR and Travis Konechny but you know he's got to do it and Hayes Hayes is interesting because at the end of last season he was very good you know when he kind of came back from his infected nutsack he was a whole lot better than he was <laughs> earlier in the year and I mean 1920 had that career year. the guy was fucking awesome that season you know even I, in the playoffs yeah and, you know, I hated Hayes more than anybody when he signed. And I feel like these days I like Hayes more than most people do. Um, a lot of people have turned on the guy because of the injuries over the last few years. And, uh, you know, I think probably an ideal world, he'd be best served as a 3C instead of a 2C at this point in time. But they don't have that luxury. So, you know, we we shall see what he ultimately ends up going. But I think he's the guy. You know, he and Lawton have had a lot of good chemistry in the past. He and Atkinson are obviously friends. He and Konechny have had chemistry in the past. Like, I, I think if there's one guy that may be a kind of under-the-radar catalyst this year, it could be Kevin Hayes. And, you know, he should be coming back at full health and, and certainly a much better player than he was last season. So it may, uh, may ultimately come down to how much this guy can keep on his plate at one time. Um, but I am interested at least – and listen, this goes back to – Tortorella as well, and Katuri and Hayes are going to be very good defensive players. They themselves in the penalty kill are probably going to save the day, you know. So they're going to play their roles. I think it's just a matter of how much upside do they have left and how much longer can they keep their current play up before it starts to decline, because they're both signed on uh, big money contracts for at least four more years. Yeah, like I just did the calculation, but like if you pro-rate, obviously you only played 48 games last year, Hayes, but if you pro-rate his point totals over 82 games, he scored at a 53-point pace. Yeah. So, like, he really did. Like, the thing with Hayes is, like, 2C, 3C. Like, I've always said this about Hayes, and you could kind of say this as well with Couturier. Hayes is a 2C, let's say, if he's playing behind McKinnon or Matthews or McDavid or one of those guys. If Kevin Hayes is a 2C behind one of those guys... I think he's a perfectly fine 2C because he could score 50 points more often than not. When he's healthy, he's more or less good for 50 points, all situations, defense, uh, center, all that. And Couturier, I think, can be a 1C if he has the proper 2C behind him. Like, let's say Bergeron all those years had David Krejci, who was arguably the best 2C in the NHL a lot of the time. Or like in Winnipeg, where you have Shifley and Dubois. But as a standalone with Kevin Hayes, he's probably better as a 2C. So I think that both of them are okay in their roles. It's just more collectively if they're good enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because I like Kevin Hayes. I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that, you know, he's a guy that could very well be next captain of this team. I'm hoping that it's nobody to start the year. But, like... I mean, he's and I know a lot of people have kind of turned on him because he does this stuff with Barstool and like all of his friends come over and all this. But like, I thought that he was maybe something this team kind of needed. And I, that's tough to say, given what's gone on the last two years. But maybe I'm just a bit biased, but I don't really hate Kevin Hayes all that much. No, neither do I. And he can fuck off with the Barstool stuff. But, you know, the the rest of him, you know, what he brings as a player is fine. And even if he's not named captain, I still think he's the unofficial, official leader of this team right now. Um, just through energy and personality alone. So, 
Yeah, I, I I hope he's fine. If again, if he's healthy, he should be at least a passable middle six center. Um, it's just the, this this center depth overall. Couturier, that's Hayes, Frost, and Brown is not exactly the most threatening foursome that's ever been assembled in the NHL. You know, and, and between that and the injuries and whether or not Frost can go, and there's a lot of questions down the middle. And I just I cannot. See, uh, there were a lot of holes they should have attempted to fill this summer, but I cannot believe they ran it back a whole another year without even kind of addressing three C. Uh, that just it continues to blow my mind how much of a gimmick this team is when it comes to refusing to add center depth to this team, and you know even somebody like Dylan Strome would have gone a long way to kind of trying to right the ship here, but nope. <laughs> Another year, well, yeah, of like Katuri, Hayes and Frost. I've been I I said that my one thing that I would have really liked is like move on from Konechny, bring in a three C because. Especially, like, when you look at, like, how many right wings this team has, like, it's... It's about three teams worth of them. Because, like, even if you do bring up Forster and you bring up Allison, if Bobby Brink gets back healthy, like, eventually one of these guys would have to try the left wing. You would think so. Or you put Konechny over there and tell him to fuck off because he's a worthless piece of shit hockey player. (laughs) I I wonder what Konechny... Like, it feels like Konechny and Provorov are the two guys that a lot of people are going to have their eyes on this year. Uh, yeah, I would think so. I, I think they're the guys that provide the biggest potential as catalysts for the team. You know, the the highest guy, like, you don't really have that offensive powerhouse. And I guess kind of by default, especially with Farabee on the shelf, Konechny's that guy that you're going to rely on to produce offense. And he's been so shit at producing offense since the 2020 bubble that, you know, I know people love the guy because he makes faces. I am no fan of Travis Konechny. I think that's a relatively apparent for any longtime listeners out there. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where – I don't know. I don't know where this offense is going to slough him. Hopefully Provorov looks good. I, I'm I'm never not surprised by how many people hate Ivan Provorov. Just – I don't get it. I don't understand why. But, uh, yeah, those two are probably going to be guys that are going to be – you know, have relatively season, uh, relatively important seasons in front of moving forward. Especially, you know, if Konechny looks like shit, but Tippett shows up and looks good, and Allison looks good, and Frost and uh, Forster rather makes the jump. Like all of a sudden, he's the odd man out. You know, he may be the odd man out already. It's just a matter of whether or not they, you know, pulled the trigger on moving the guy. So it'll be very interesting to see where where Konechny slots into this team. And I think he's another guy that would have benefited from. A Gaudreau on this team, you know, somebody oh, yeah, to fucking sure. set him up and do his job, and you know, I guess we'll see. And maybe they'll address it. In a... Man, I wish they did something for Forrester. I really wish. And this is where Gaudreau just fuck somebody that knows how to play hockey to come up and make these guys a little better. I wrote a piece about this earlier in the week. You know, one of the biggest failed aspects I think from the Hextall era was failing to properly insulate a lot of your youth you know when you threw Ivan Provorov with Andrew McDonald for all those years and I mean outside of Konechny riding the coattails of Giroux and Couturier a lot of these guys that called got called up never really saw that advantage and we're already seeing with Farabee you know this guy seems like he's got potential but who the hell has he played with early in his career to bring that out of him and it just sucks knowing that if Forrester does make the jump he's gonna be you know throw him on the top line with Couturier and JVR what the fucking did you know, he's not going to produce there. It would have been so much, you know, what if Gautier makes the NHL next season? Wouldn't it have been better to slot yeah. him between 
Debrincat and Gaudreau instead of, you know, whoever well, the hell's top line. Like, I just wish that they, and I guess they've got next season, uh, next summer to address this, but, you know, I don't expect any fucking changes from this team anymore. But, you know, I just wish that they did a little better job insulating some of these younger guys coming up and these players and trying to bring the most out of them because I don't think Konechny's going to produce the offense on his own. I don't, I don't think Faraby's going to produce the offense on his own. I think you need players that can show up and, and help these guys blossom. And for some reason, they, they just absolutely refuse to do that yeah no for that uh you bring a good point like i was saying to myself like i i got like kind of like thinking like imagine like next season your first line is like goudreau goatsy and forrester yeah. like you have like a good like veteran guy who could dish the puck i mean they have next summer and i think next summer you kind of have a better you know crop of guys to go after like overall it's just it's it it was really tough. Like this summer was it was very bizarre how they ended up going about it. Like I honestly believe that like it was just at the 11th hour that they just realized they they couldn't gut the farm, right? And it, it's going to be interesting to see how this team moves forward. It's going to be interesting to see if Chuck Fletcher is the guy too, right? Like it, it's it's very like like, I don't know what could happen this season that could save his job. Is there or, like, a scenario save... where he doesn't look like a complete fucking idiot? Because think... if there's if this team does have success against all odds, he's going to look like shit for not insulating them, for not going after a Debrin Cat or Goudreau, because they could have that could have been the piece to push them over the edge. Or if they're complete shit, he's going to look like an idiot for letting the team be complete shit and running it back with a team that finished fourth worst in the league last year. Like either way, I, I really don't see a scenario where this guy comes out looking looking like a good general manager at the end of the day. The only thing would be is if let's say they tread water and then if out Al- like if Ellis came back, hypothetically, which is a big hypothetical, but let's just play it for funsies, would this not be one of the deepest blue lines in the NHL? It very well could be, yeah. Like I, I say Calgary probably has the deepest. But, I mean, it would be up there. And let's say you get Farabee back healthy. It would take some cap gymnastics at that point. But oh, yeah. let's just let's just say for funsies, whatever, they find a way to make it work. Like, I don't, like, and they make the playoffs and they're hard to play against team. Like, yeah, you're right that then there is the, you know, completely justified question of, like, well, why didn't you insulate this group? But then I guess you could swing the whole like, well, we want to see what we have, this, that, and the other thing. Like, it's there's parts of this team that I like, as we just outlined, but it's just like the top half of the Ford group is just so bad. Yep. That like it's almost like every good thing you did is for naught. Like, I do think that like this is a good defense. Ellis or no Ellis, I think it's a very good defense. I like the bottom six. I like the fact that there's going to be young guys playing prominent roles. I know people don't like this, but I'm very happy that you have Felix Sandstrom as the backup. Yes. Yeah. Like that was one thing you were beating the drum for, weren't you? I do love me some Felix Sandstrom. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm very happy that you're giving that guy a prominent chance here. It's just that like, the top six has gotten so bad here that it's almost like, is it going to be for naught? And that's going to be the big question here. Like how good can this team be with such a dismal top six forward group? 
And if the depth doesn't work out as well as we thought, if Tippett doesn't find that scoring touch or Cates just becomes a, you know, bottom six Scott Lawton-esque player, then you really don't have any offense coming from this team. Then what do you do? Which is the big thing. Like, you would be, like, they're, like, I find, and I talked about this with Jason Mertidis a bit, but, like, when they were playing, remember 2019-20 when the system was strong and they were legitimately a good, like, overall structured team? It was a good couple weeks, yeah. Like, they were not defending that much. And I think that they were moving the puck out a lot. Like, they weren't allowing teams to forecheck on them a lot. And I think that, you know, you saw Provorov, who was an elite puck mover that year, an elite transition defenseman, all that, Niskin and all all this. Like, if their defense could be what they think it's going to be, and I think it's because they think that their defense could get the puck out fairly well, like, even, even Rasmus Ristolainen, like, as bad as he is in all analytical categories, apparently as a puck retrieval defenseman in his own end, he's very, very good. Yeah. And he could get the puck out even if it's non-controlled. So I think their whole system is going to be trying to just move the puck up quickly out of, the, out of their zone. So then you have to ask, like, are there any guys here that could take advantage off transition? Like, I feel like Atkinson... Eesh. Just the slowest, most uncoordinated bunch of forwards you got here. I don't think anybody can really, you know, take care of that. And at least until Fairby shows back up, maybe Brink's that guy. But man, this current group, I don't know if you got anybody that can really do that. Maybe Atkinson, but Atkinson that, felt shit. like the guy who like scored from out of nowhere most of the time last year. Yeah, like even like his underlying numbers weren't great, but he finished at a high level. Uh, tip it. It depends on his scoring touch. Like he generates a lot, but it depends. So like. It's really going to see how it all mixes in together here. Like, w- what could be of Konechny? How is Hayes going to look healthy? Like, Katori, what the hell is he going to look like? That, Like, that's really what it's going to come down to. And, you know, you have to hope that the coaching staff helps this. You know, John Tortorella and uh, Bradshaw, Bradshaw. And Rocky Johnson. And Rocky Johnson, the, the WWF stable behind the bench. <laughs> but again, you don't. you also don't want to, like, give the coaches too much credit, right? Like, they're not, you know... The not after their numbers last season, no. But are you overall, like, now that the dust settled on the coaching stuff, do you think everyone is more or less happy with the coach? I I, <laughs> I think uh, there were much bigger fish to fry than, uh, you know, what people's opinions were of John Tortorella by the time the offseason came to an end. Um, I think everyone was angry originally because he's an old retread. But at the end of the day, Chuck Fletcher did such a bang-up job during the rest of the offseason that I think people forgot John Tortorella was even the coach at this point. Yeah, and he said all the right things in his press availability, so that was good. He'll be, uh, he'll be I'm not overly concerned about Tortorella. The other two, eh, you know. Rocky Johnson and Bradshaw. Rocky Johnson and Bradshaw, yeah. They're just missing Ron Simmons. Rocky Johnson, you know, he had decent numbers in juniors and in the CHL, and then his one season in the NHL was fucking abysmal. Bradshaw had decent numbers in Columbus. You know, kind with of hit or miss Yeah, with Tortorella on the penalty kill. But then last season of Vancouver, it was fucking atrocious. You know, so you brought in two special teams guys that – you know, whose track record is not <laughs> overly perfect in that sense when theoretically your special teams is what ultimately sank you for most of last season, you know, beyond just the injuries. It was the biggest point of failure. So I'm sure they'll be better than Daryl Williams and whoever the Christ the other guy was. But uh, <laughs> Don John Torchetti. Torchetti, that's right. I felt villain. so bad for Mike Yo. 
Yeah, yeah, I I was never expecting to like Mike Yell, but uh, he definitely deserved better than what he got treated with last season, that's the for sure. The prisoner of war. Yeah, ready to cry at every one of his press conferences. <laughs> the guy didn't even have a proper coaching staff until February. And like, even then, the, the, really stretching the term proper at that point. John Torchetti, Daryl Williams, Nick Schultz, the band of misfits. <laughs> Poor Mike Yell, man. I felt like he was such a nice guy. It's just like, and you knew it was coming. Like you saw it coming a mile away that it was going to be Mike Yo. Yeah, yeah. That since he he got maybe he'll find peace in Vancouver, turn his life around up there, and be happy with, again. With Bruce Boudreaux, learn how to smile every now and then. <laughs> the poor guy, the wrestling fanatic Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah, he should put him behind the bench with Bradshaw and Rocky Johnson. <laughs> did you see the clip of him in Montreal being surprised by Kevin? I did. Owens? Yeah, I saw. I met Kevin Owens on the concourse in the Bell Center when I was there. I was so excited. <laughs> he was just talking French with his dad. Huh. <laughs> but, yeah, no more French uh, coaches in Philadelphia, though. That's yeah, I may want to wait a while before they try that again. Yeah. They got to send Briere down there just for a game or two. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad it didn't work out with AV. I know everyone hated him, but. I kind of like the guy. Yeah, I I don't like, I don't really think it was him? his fault. You know, I I I stood by him towards the very end. I just think there were too many problems for one man to overcome. And obviously, with the way Yao got treated later in the year, that was obviously the case. Um, I just think he took the bullet for a real shitty roster and became the public enemy of the fans. You know, when he first got here and the be a fucking flyer line and the energy and the martinis and all this wacky shit, you know, he he seemed like a lot of fun. I think when this team was on firing on all cylinders in 1920, he looked great. Whatever he did with this team when he first got here was awesome. And then something happened during the 2020 bubble and shit just spiraled out of control ever since. And he just so happened to be the man you know, technically in charge of the team and took the bullet for it. But I, I really don't think he was as bad of a coach as a lot of people seem to remember him being. I think he checked out. I think he, like, I know that he had, I think his parents had trouble with COVID. He really hated, like, the, the COVID restrictions and all that. Obviously, he had some blunders. Like, the Carter Hart stuff, I think, was just uncalled for. Like, that was just, like, an unforced error, as they say. But I feel like he was just the guy that, like, between COVID and everything and the dysfunctionality of the players, like, I just feel like he was here and he was saying just like, you know what, I'm not here to be a developmental coach. I was here to come in here and win. And it's too bad. I, I like you said, I the way he instilled that system in 2019-20 and they were looking really good, it's too bad it didn't work out because he had something going here. Yeah, if the pandemic never hit, you know. Who knows? Who knows how that 1920 season could have finished? Because they were super strong in that win streak. It was it nine games, and they got, they got beat by Florida or Tampa, one of those teams that ended right before the uh, yep the end. Boston, there, I think it was Boston. Yeah, and uh, you know who knows if they carried that momentum into the playoffs, maybe the Broussard Thompson disaster wouldn't have happened, and maybe a couple of these shitheads would have actually shown up and played a little bit of hockey. And you know they may have uh, may have had a little bit more success than they did have during that uh, 2020 playoff bubble, but yeah, I guess uh, you know it falls into the barrels of the what if in Flyers history, I suppose. Feels so long ago, eh? The... Fuck, it's a goddamn lifetime ago. 
Last season was... alone was four years of my life. <laughs> Last season was like, I, I, you know, I'm such an idiot. I remember saying like, oh, they could be a player away from being a cup contender. Yeah, okay. They like, had to be on and Larkin and Hurdle to make it happen. And... It's weird because they started off really well. They started off really yeah, well. That's right. They did play like two good weeks of hockey there. It was, I remember the, the, it was when they, uh, they, they beat Edmonton out West. They had that Western Canada trip with Vancouver and Edmonton. They beat them both. They went into Calgary, got fucking cold stoned. And that was the end of that. Yeah, that, that was it. Like I would have, I wonder if Ellis was healthy all year. What, if it would have changed anything. Probably would have been as bad because I think Provorov, especially towards the end, Provorov was fucking done. But uh, just hated everybody. Oh yeah, I, I think. And fuck, that had to be miserable. Like I, as can a you, fan, hated turning on the him, TV. No, Honestly. I don't blame Provorov in the slightest for this one. And you know, I know a lot of people. I don't forget what the hell we were talking about on Twitter a few days ago, but people were like, oh, he's such a bad attitude, and we can't have that in the room. And it's like, I don't fucking blame this guy one bit for. Uh, you know, the, the attitude or being negative or, or whatever the hell you want to call it. You know, I think if anybody on this entire roster, he and Carter Hart have the two biggest gripes with the, the bullshit that they've been thrown into the last few years. And, um, you know, hopefully that changes with, with D'Angelo this year and he can find some chemistry and look like a good guy. Maybe Ellis even does come back at some point and can play some few games there. You know, he just needs a guy to play with and, you know, I, I, I really do like Provorov, unlike most people. I don't, again, I don't understand how this guy's quite as hated as he is, but, you know, I, I, I hope that he gets at least a little bit of peace in the blue line this year because he absolutely deserves it. Yep, I would agree with that 100%. <sighs> well, next week, uh, well, today is the first day of September, actually. It's crazy how fast it's coming. It's, uh, yeah, September 1st. This is August 31st day. Tomorrow is September 1st. But... That was it. Tomorrow is September 1st. Yeah. I guess oh, by the time most people hear this, it'll be Thursday. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's coming up. I don't I don't have the schedule in front of me. I don't know when all this crap begins, but I think the rookie game is a 16-17. So probably the second week of September is when things pick up. So it'll be here before you know it, I suppose. Get ready for 82 more games of bullshit. Yeah. At least, uh, I'm expecting at least, I know I've said this a lot, but I'm curious to see, like, a Jeruless year how it's going to be. It's going to be a miserable disaster is how it's going to be. <laughs> but something that didn't need to be done. Yeah, I, I, I'm I still fine with parting ways with him. I think this team is going to feel it tremendously, and I feel like we've been saying that for years. Is when the day comes when Jeru's not here anymore... They're going to feel it, and I, I definitely think they will, especially considering how fucking terrible the top six is. You know, they don't even have a Giroux to, uh, to try and buoy them out, so we shall see. But, uh, you know, hopefully some cream rises to the top here without Giroux, and they look good, and, you know, they're not they're not as miserable as they've been for the last years. Quite frankly, it's all I take at this point. I'd be happy if they didn't lose 9-2 to two every night. If they lost, like, 8-2 to two every night, okay, at least we're trending in the right direction, right? <laughs> Well, time will tell, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, everyone. I guess we'll call it a day. Um, back with Frequent Flyer this weekend. They're making their Season 5 debut, Mike and Manny. Um, we're going to record Friday. That'll probably go up Sunday, so you can check that out. Um, Frequent Flyer from Monday, or uh, Flyer Side Chat, rather, from Monday. 
If you're a fan of that show, typically I would check it out. If you're not a fan of the Flyerside Chat humor, you may want to set that one out. And it was a all-time classic if you're a fan of that show, but otherwise it's, it was a hot mess. But uh, yeah, at Dan the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore Pod. Plenty of shit up on the website, brotherlypuck.com as well. You can check all that out. And Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Adamarco25. All right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good nights.